your Bibles tonight, and let's go to Acts chapter 28, the very last book, uh, chapter of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28. And Lord willing, tonight we are going to close this series out and uh, finish this series in the book of Acts. While you're turning to Acts chapter 28, so we have a man this morning who's with us from India, going back to India um, to continue his ministry there to his home place, his people, and we think about that, and we think, wow, millions upon millions upon millions of people unreached in India, and what kind of an impact can one man make? What kind of a, of a ministry can one family have with such a vast, vast mission field? And haven't we seen in the book of Acts how God plants seeds, how God is the one who puts his people where they need to be, and how God does what is impossible with men to do. And so that should give us courage. If there's one thing that I think in my own study of this particular series in Acts that I have taken from it, maybe that's one of the main things that has just continued to come up to me that God is going to show His power through His people and in doing things that His people could never do in and of their own strength and power and might and wisdom, never. But God can accomplish the impossible. God's gospel can go forth through the simple obedience of those who will just simply, by faith, do what they need to be doing for Him. And it is by faith. It is by belief. This has been brought up numbers of times this week, at least to me it has, and I'm sure to you too, and maybe on social media or hearing someone else speak in a different service, but we've had a hurricane coming in. And by the way, uh, have you said hi to Florence that she came by? She's she's out there, but um, uh, praise the Lord, it's not what it could be. We're talking about that in the choir. But people obviously believed there's a hurricane coming, right? How do you know they believed? Go to, they prepared for it. They prepared for it. Go to the store. Go to Walmart. Go to Food Lion. The day after it was announced, it was coming, right? And the, the water uh, aisle is empty. Um, that's pretty much good proof that people had faith in what they were told. They really believed it. Now, we could go on, and we talked about this to the teens this morning. We could all say, oh, wow, a hurricane's coming. We believe. We have faith in our weathermen. we've had a pretty good laugh about that this week haven't we we have faith in what somebody's telling us that there's a storm coming so we make preparation we take action and that is really the proof i could say all day that i believe you know the same thing goes for salvation same thing goes for living for christ it's the same thing what an illustration to us this week if you believe something your actions are going to show it if, if we say we believe there's a hurricane, then we just go sit on our hands and don't do anything. We didn't really believe that that was going to come our way. There's going to be a hurricane. And it's the same for those people who are told the gospel. They know the truth of Jesus, or at least they're told, but they never, nothing changes. Nothing's, there's no proof in their life whatsoever is evidence they don't believe. And it's the same thing for us Christians, isn't it? We need to live by faith. Oh, you need to pray to God. God can do it. Well, we know all these things. 
But how many times do we actually take the action and say, God, if you are the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and David, and you can do these things to the Apostle Paul, then why, why couldn't you take an Adrian Hendricks and his wife in a city with how many millions and millions of people and plant that seed and watch as God just brings that tree, that fruit-bearing tree out of that. Who knows what God's going to do through that man? And who knows what God can do through you and me? But he's not going to do it unless we believe. And in believing, we take action. In Stewart's Draft, in Waynesboro, in Stanton, wherever we may live, and let God use us. Well, that's what I've seen a lot in the book of Acts that I think God is trying to teach us. And let's continue on as we wrap this thing up tonight, Lord willing. And uh, what I want to do is begin with verse, um, jump down to verse 13, and let's just read it out, the rest of this passage, uh, Acts chapter 28, and then we'll go back and talk about it. We were in Acts 28, we saw the ministry at Melita uh, or Malta uh, in this chapter, and we won't go back into all of that after they got off the ship and it was shipwrecked. But the amazing account there of what God did, the, the barbarous people that were there and the, the, the viper that bit Paul's hand. Wow, what a, what a story. Um, and what, how we see the power of God through this and then uh, Publius and how God used Paul in that part of the world. And then we saw the trip to Rome. And that's where we're at now, verse 13. And from thence, we fetched a compass and came to Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew and we came near... Uh, the next day to Putoli, uh, I always get this mixed up, Putioli. Um, sounds like a good Italian word, doesn't it? Sounds like something you'd eat for at Olive Garden. Give me a large Putioli. Um, but anyhow, that's where we are. We're in Italy. Verse 14, where we found brethren and were desired to tarry with them for seven days. And so we went toward Rome. And from thence, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Appii, or Appii Forum, and the three taverns, whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. And when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was suffered or allowed to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. And it came to pass that after three days, Paul called the chief of the Jews together. And when they were come together, he said unto them, Men and brethren, though I have committed nothing, against the people or customs of our fathers. Yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, would have let me go, because there was no cause of death in me. But when the Jews spake against it, I was constrained to appeal unto Caesar, not that I had aught or anything to accuse my nation of. And for this cause, therefore, have I called for you to see you and to speak with you, because that for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. And we're going to come back to that in a little bit. And they said unto him, these are the Jews, the leaders of of the Jews of that part of the world, who Paul has gathered together to himself. They said to him, we neither received letters out of Judea concerning this, thee, neither any of the brethren that came showed or spake any harm of thee, but we desired to hear of thee what thou thinkest. For as concerning this sect, 
we know that everywhere it is spoken against. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning until evening. And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed after that Paul had spoken one word. And here's what Paul said. Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah, or Isaiah the prophet, unto our fathers, saying, Go unto this people, and say, Hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. For the heart of this people and is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles and that they will hear it. When he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning among themselves. Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God, and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence. And I love the last phrase, no man forbidding him. No man forbidding him. Wow. And that ends the book of Acts. That ends Luke's gospel, Luke's account of the Acts of the Apostles. The Acts, of course of the Lord Jesus, and of the Holy Spirit through His church. And let's pick it up here as we go back a little bit there in our passage and talk about these things that have happened. Of course, we saw where they had uh, were on the island of Malta. They left the island after three months being on that island, came up to uh, Sicily there, and uh, came around this island. Um, they... Uh, Again, instead of going into all of the uh, detail about these things, um, when they set sail, the weather was agreeable. Syracuse is the famous city in the island of Sicily, and here they stayed for three days. They come around that, and then they go on up into Italy there. You see them crossing through, going by the, the boot of Italy up to the coast, and here they're going to go by foot the rest of the way into Rome, where God had promised Paul, that he was going to end up. And here they find Christians, as we mentioned last time, not surprising that here in this port in Puteoli, they find these Christians that are there. The gospel has been spreading around this the known world of the day in these nearly 30 years since Jesus had been on the earth and crucified, risen uh, from the dead. And um, so the gospel is going out. Paul stays with these Christians for seven days Paul is still in the care of Julius the centurion, and um, this is likely, as we mentioned last week, why Paul just has all this freedom as a prisoner. He's wearing chains, he's in bondage, he is a prisoner of Rome, but yet he's been given all this freedom. God's working in all of these things. I personally like to think Julius came to know Christ as his Savior. The things he's seen by now, (laughs) the storm, I mean, it's just amazing. Uh, if, if he didn't come to Christ, to me, it would be a miracle. Um, but, uh, but anyhow, he has all this freedom, uh, this, this centurion being kind to him, 
And so the Bible says in verse 14, we went toward Rome. And in verse 15, again, the Christians at Rome had heard that Paul and his companions are coming. Um, There has been a letter written to them by Paul in years previous called Romans. And uh, so they, they know Paul through letters, most of them, but they do not know him personally. They're excited, of course, to see him. And he, again, in a day where there's very little communication like we have today, he is thrilled to see these Christians and that there is a church and it's thriving in Rome. And they come all the way to uh, Appii and the three taverns. And again, these are towns that are between 45 to 50 miles from Rome on the famous Appian Way that leads to Rome. And I I was going to show a little video tonight with that, but I thought I'm not going to take the time to do that. You can do that on your own. Um, You can get on the internet today and see so much. Um, Maybe some of you had the privilege of being in that part of the world. I know the the Hebrews did many years ago, uh, had the privilege of being in in these places um, and on the Appian Way. And you can get on Google and, and see some videos people have taken. Talks about the catacombs that are there, that the, many of the Christians were buried in. Um, so much history. But it's, it's good for us, again, to see those things, to remind us that this is reality. This is real history that we're talking about. And Paul <clears throat> and all of these, uh, these prisoners and others are taking this Appian Way, which is a Roman road, uh, a marvel of uh, ingenuity and engineering in that day, uh, these roads that Rome built straight as an arrow, flattened and uh, made for military purposes mainly um, to get those soldiers where they needed to be in battle. Um, But that's the road that he's on going into Rome. And we came to Rome, Paul says. There we go. Whoops. And here's a little uh, painting somebody made. You can still see so many of the ruins of of the Roman Empire, uh, the beauty, and can just, you know, try to imagine what that place must be, the wonder of the world that it was in its day uh, there, the city of seven hills. And then here comes the Apostle Paul into Rome. All the prisoners are delivered to the captain of the guard in uh, verse 16, or the general of the army, except for Paul. He was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier that guarded him. Paul was still a prisoner, but he was allowed to have his own private quarters, we saw there in verse 30, and yet he was still guarded and bound with a chain, we saw in verse 20. Number three tonight, the ministry at Malta, the trip to Rome, and number three, the introduction to the Roman Jews, which begins in verse 17. As we saw, Paul, as he did everywhere he went, he goes first to the Jews, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. In Luke 24, Christ had said that the gospel would be preached in all the world, beginning in Jerusalem. And that is exactly what took place. And everywhere Paul went, beginning with the Jews and also to the Gentiles. Paul had such a heart to seek to win his own nation, Israelites, the Jews, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what we see him doing all the way to the end of the book of Acts. He is called together in uh, chapter 28, the leaders of the Jews in Rome to himself. How this all went about, we don't know exactly for sure. But it tells us in verse 17 that after three days of settling in, and I find that even amazing. Think of all Paul's been through. Think of a 50-mile journey down the Appian Way on foot with chains on your arms. And after three days, 
He's at it again. How long would I have taken to sit there? Let's take a week, at least something. Let's rest a little bit here. Not Paul. He's on a mission. On a mission for the Lord Jesus Christ, and we can learn something even from that. What an example he is to us. Paul calls these local leaders of the Jews in Rome to him where he was lodging, and he recounts the story, as we read there a minute ago, of what took place in Jerusalem, and argues that he had done nothing wrong, nothing worthy of being a Roman prisoner. And then he talks about there in verses 18 and 19 and 20 about the hope of Israel. And again, I want to come back to that in a minute. But skipping on down to verse 21, the Jews say that we neither received letters of, of Judea concerning thee, neither any of the brethren that came, showed, or spake any harm of thee. So Paul's defending himself, and it seems to be in this historical account that they don't really know what's going on. We don't know all the details of that. But they do say in verse 22 that we do want to hear of you concerning what you think about all of this thing, these, these things you're preaching about. This Messiah that you say has come into the world, what you think concerning the Messiah, if he has indeed come or not. But then they give, the, they give it away. For as concerning this sect, right there in verse 22, you see it says, and if you look that word sect up, it simply means heresy. They called it heresy before Paul ever got it out of his mouth, what he wanted to try to show, show them and share with them. So they already have their minds set on what they believe. They reproach the gospel from the start, calling it heresy. They say that they know that this gospel of Jesus Christ is spoken against everywhere. Nobody believes this. Nobody's listening to this, but yet we want to hear what you have to say, Paul. You know, the Bible tells us, doesn't it, that the gospel of Jesus is a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, it is Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, 1 Corinthians 1.22. And we see this very same thing that went on right here in Rome, as well as in Corinth, as well as in other places we've seen Paul. We see it today, don't we? A stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to many of the Gentiles, but to those who know the power of God, to those who know Christ, to those who are the called according to His purpose, it is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Men come to the gospel because they're drawn of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to get real frustrated and we're going to get really down and downcast when we're trying to depend on our own strength and our own power. The Hendricks have no chance in India without God. And you and I have no chance in America and in our Augusta County, our own Augusta County, without God. But with God, all things are possible. And it is God who draws. It is God who brings people in. Verse 26, Paul reprimands and he brings back to these people's minds what Isaiah says in the Old Testament. Paul is always referring back to the Old Testament to the Jews who know the Old Testament so well, and saying, Hearing you shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing you shall see and not perceive. For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes are they closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and should be converted, and I should heal them. You'll see the wonders. You'll see the miracles that I've done for you, and you will not set your heart to know me. And again, we learn 
that the gospel preached, even if it's preached by the best preacher, even if it's preached in the most clear manner, in the most powerful manner, with all the techniques of soul winning that we've ever learned or know, even if miracles can be wrought to confirm the message, it's all insufficient, if that's all it is by itself, for the conversion of souls. Nothing will do the job except the power of God, the Holy Spirit, and the grace of God drawing a person to themselves. It is why we must remember, yes, we give truth, yes, we live the life, and we give the gospel, but all of our dependence is on God. And how important does that make prayer in our life? Depending on God, depending on God, praying, doing our work, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. What an example of that, that this is. And Paul has now seen this take place in many nations. The Gentiles, I'll go to the Gentiles, as God said, as the Lord Jesus said, for they will hear, they will listen. And then Paul lives for two whole years in his own hired house. In verse 30, it tells us, two whole years in Rome where Luke composed or finished this history that we are now reading and call the book of Acts until the fourth year of Nero. Luke was with him when the apostle wrote his second epistle to Timothy from right here in Rome during these two years. And when the time of Paul's martyrdom seemed to be coming, we don't know all the details through history of all that happened, but it seemed like Paul was, as he says, it was at hand that he was ready to be beheaded. He writes 2 Timothy, Luke being with him. And in the final verse of the book, we find Paul preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ right to the very end. He not only continued preaching the gospel during the two years of his imprisonment at Rome, but he also wrote several epistles to churches and to particular people. And again, the verse says, no man forbidding him. Though Satan has tried, and Satan has tried, and Satan has tried, nothing could stop the gospel from going forward. Out of the darkness comes light. I want to end this series by backing up to verse 20. Verse 20 again says, For this cause, Paul said to the Jews, For this cause, therefore, have I called you to see you and to speak with you, because that for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. That phrase, the hope of Israel, Paul is in chains because he had preached that the Messiah, the tribes of Israel were waiting on the Messiah. These were the Jews he's talking to. The hope of Israel is what they're waiting for, looking for. And who is the only, as someone said, the only solid foundation of the hope of eternal life and salvation that he was already come. He's already come and that he had suffered and that he had died and that he rose again from the dead and that this Jesus of Nazareth is he. This is the message of Paul. It's been the message of Paul since the day he was converted. Jeremiah chapter 14 and verse 8, and we'll put it on the screen. The Jews that Paul is speaking to here in this last chapter, they will know this phrase that Paul says to them, the hope of Israel. Oh, the hope of Israel. 
the Savior thereof in time of trouble. Why shouldest thou be as a stranger in the land, and as a wayfaring man that turneth aside to tarry for the night? There are so many Old Testament prophecies, so many things that the prophet said of the Old Testament that these people could have seen and light could have dawned. All the hope of Israel, the Savior thereof in time of trouble, the one that we're waiting on, why shouldest thou be as a stranger in the land? as a wayfaring man that turneth aside to tarry for the night. Paul is saying, the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, has come. Paul, this phrase he used quite a bit, the hope of Israel, the Lord Jesus, our hope, Colossians 1, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, Jesus Christ, still today in 2018, it's the same message. Jesus Christ is the hope of every sinner. He's my only hope. How about you? I have no other hope. I have nothing else to place my confidence in. Nothing else that will work. Nothing else that gives any peace or has any effect on our lives whatsoever. The hope that we have for every sinner, for every Jew, for every Gentile is Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ. All the hope of Israel or the expectation of Israel. The author of all good things, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. That's what the Jews would say for many, many years. He's coming, he's coming. He's one day going to be here. He's coming, the one we're expecting, the one who's going to set us free. He's coming. And Paul is standing here saying, once again, folks, I'm here to tell you, he's come. He's come and his name is Jesus Christ. And yet, Israel, though they're looking for this Savior in their time of trouble who would deliver them, they don't believe. It wasn't what they thought. It wasn't what they expected. And their eyes are closed. And they're not listening. These that Paul loves so much. And yet he does come and deliver his people out of all their trouble. And why should you be like a stranger in the land or a sojourner who abides for just a while? Isn't that an interesting verse? In Jeremiah chapter 14, how long was Jesus on this earth? You remember? 30, 33 years or so that we, we believe. That's, a long, that's not a long time to be on the earth, is it? If a young man today dies at 33 years of age, we count it a tragedy. He's not lived very long. Why, the Messiah has come! He's come! He has? Yes, but he was only here for about 33 years. 33 years. Well, what did he do? Well, Paul, the Messiah, he's going to set us free. Why, the Messiah, when he comes, he's going to do unbelievable things. Well, when the Messiah comes, Paul, all this Roman occupation, all of these things, Paul, we're looking for a Savior. We're looking for a Redeemer. And you're talking about a man who died at 33 years of age on an old rugged cross Paul, what are you talking about? You know, when we think about Jesus tonight, we think about a man who lived for 33 years. Now, we know what he accomplished, right? We have the Scriptures. But you think about Jesus for a minute. And I'm leading up to something here. Stay with me. Jesus Christ, as far as we know, never left Judea. Well, I guess he went to Egypt when he was a baby. 
But he never traveled outside of that little tiny part of the world. Jesus Christ never wrote a book, except the Bible, of course, in his day. Jesus Christ never recorded a podcast. Jesus Christ won 12 men to himself. 12. When he died and was buried and rose again, ascended to heaven, there were about 100 and what did we see in the first of Acts? 120, maybe 130 people gathered in an upper room, scared to death. And the world looks on and says, what is this? What is this Savior? But wait a minute. And this is, to me, what Acts shows us. Jesus didn't just come to do a good deed for the world and then leave and be done. A sojourner in the land for a little while. He was here for 33 years and and he did his his good deed and he died on the cross for our sins and then he's gone into heaven and that's it. Oh my, that's just the beginning. That was just, and here's the illustration that Jesus gives and the illustration that we can think of and use in our own lives. That was the seed. The seed that was planted in the ground. And what does a seed do when it dies? and it's planted in the ground, and it springs forth. Isn't that what Jesus did? He died, and he was put in the ground, and he sprung forth. And Jesus didn't stay on this earth. He went back up into heaven, but that plant sprung forth. And we have been seeing in the book of Acts the continuing ministry and the power of the very same Savior, the Messiah, who these Jews were looking for, yet they did not understand. They did not have their eyes open. Let me show you something. Jesus came to be seed planted in the ground to begin this great work. He ascended into heaven, but he left his body on earth. Not his physical body, but you, Paul, Peter, James, and John, and all the saints who've lived since then. His body and the fruit and the Holy Spirit on this earth so that the seed planted might bear much fruit. And I have a question for you tonight. Has it? Has the seed bared much fruit? It's been 2,000 years since that seed was planted and sprung up. And I would argue with you tonight, if you wanted to argue, that the seed has borne a whole lot of fruit. And it still has fruit to bear. It still has fruit to bear through God's people. John 14, 12. Look at this verse. And I want you to think about it with me. Words of Jesus now. Truly, truly, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, he shall do also. Now that's that's pretty strong enough right there. Jesus, the works that I do, he shall do also. Then look what he says. And what's the next word? Greater. What? Greater works? than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. What did Jesus say? That almost sounds sacrilegious, doesn't it? If it wasn't Jesus that said it, we would wonder about it. But it's Jesus who said, The works that I do, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, he shall do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Now, we, of course, know Jesus is the Son of God. We can't speak to storms and they stop. But let me, let me say this again. Jesus 
never left Judea. Jesus preached, and then he listened, but 12 converts, 120 gathered in a room, the seed was planted. And what happened all the way back in the first part of Acts that we read about when we started this series? When Peter stood up, bold Peter now, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in Jerusalem, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, 3,000 souls came to Christ. Because the seed had been planted, it had sprung up, and now it's going to start bearing fruit. This is the plan all along. Where is Jesus today? Why, He is still as active today as He's ever been. Do you believe that? Jesus Christ is still as active today as He's ever been. But He's a different kind of King. We've got to remember this and realize this. He is King. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. But He doesn't rule today like other kings rule. He's far higher than that. Far higher than that. There's a bad king in this world. His name is Satan. He also rules in the same kind of way. We can't see him, right? But does he rule? Does he reign over the prince of the power of the air, over the the things? Yes, he tries to. Yes, he does. Jesus Christ rules. Jesus Christ is the Savior, the Messiah of the world. And he is seeing these things through. In his own timing, in his own power, 3,000 people come to Christ in the first of Acts. And just a little while later, 5,000 more come to Christ toward the beginning of Acts. We suddenly see Paul. These things start rolling. And what we have now seen in the book of Acts was just the beginning. Just the beginning. As the gospel went out into the world, I hope this can encourage us tonight to realize as we're ending Acts, it's not the end of Acts. The acts of Jesus Christ go on. The acts of the King of kings and the Lord of lords goes on. It's been going on. His acts, the acts of the Holy Spirit have been going on for 2,000 years. And they're going to continue to go on as long as He gives you and me breath to breathe and life to live, energy to go forth in. It's the same God. It's the same Jesus. Jesus is a king unlike any other king. The Son of God has accomplished what He came to do. The cross of Jesus is the center of all of history. God had been working up to the cross of Jesus from the Garden of Eden. God had been up to something. And here we see it, the center of history. We look back on it today. And at that cross, Jesus defeated sin and Satan and hell and even the grave. And the Bible tells us He nailed our sins to that cross and He spoiled principalities and powers and He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it, Colossians chapter 2. But the cross, all of that, that's the center of it all. That's not the end. That's not the end. That was the seed planted in the ground. Jesus rose again from the dead the third day. He's the first fruits of them that slept, 1 Corinthians 15. And the Bible tells us that all things have been put in subjection under His feet. Hebrews chapter 2. All things have been put in subjection under His feet. But now we see not yet all things, even death, one day 
on that great resurrection morning when the dead in Christ shall rise, we sing. Y'all believe that's coming? But the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that wasn't the end. Jesus ascended into glory. The Bible says in Hebrews 1, verse 3, He sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Can you imagine the glorious entrance Jesus had into glory when He ascended up into heaven? Can you imagine the royal entrance the Son of God had when He walked into the... We can't even imagine what that looks like, sounds like, feels like. What the, the, the hosts of heaven. Can you imagine David and Joseph and Moses, God himself, the angels of heaven, the hosts of heaven, as Jesus comes in? The, the man, the, the God, man, Jesus. But that's not the end. The great work now goes out into the world. The work of Jesus Christ. The acts of Jesus, the acts of the Holy Spirit now go out into the world. The, the death of Christ wasn't the end. The cross of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ wasn't the end. So was Jesus' job over? No. The most glorious event in all of history was just the beginning. This was the seed planted. And from this seed, the gospel has grown and spread throughout all the earth. Jesus' mission has continued, as we said a minute ago, for 2,000 years now bringing people into the kingdom of God. Christ's work has succeeded. Christ's work, as long as God continues to give us time to give the gospel, will continue to succeed. Nothing can stop it. This is the last verse we'll put on the screen. And Jesus came, spake unto them, saying, All what? Power. And that word means authority. How much authority? All. All authority is given unto me in heaven, in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world and the age. Matthew chapter 28. All power. All authority has been given unto me. Go. And Paul, in his own hired house for two years, with all confidence, preached the gospel of Jesus, no man forbidding him. May God help us to take our lives right here where we are, to remember the power that is not in us, but that is Jesus. This one who has all power, all authority. May we truly believe, have the faith of people who believe a hurricane's coming. And may that have fruit. May it bear fruit. May it, there be action in our lives. Whatever that may mean for your situation and for mine. Little things, daily letting the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus shine brightly into a dark world. It's been our theme through this entire series, light out of the darkness, light, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them, which are sanctified by faith, 
Jesus says, that is in me. God wants to use your life. Whether you're telling people the gospel of Jesus with your mouth, whether you're giving out a gospel track, whether you're living that kind of life in your own home that the Bible says to live, simple faith, simple obedience, in your workplace, in your cubicle, planting those seeds, trusting in the power of God. Is the world dark? I'll tell you one thing, America's dark. America's dark tonight. But you're the light. You say, well, who am I? Who are you? You're nobody. But who is God? And who is Jesus? (laughs) Who is Jesus? He's the same Jesus Paul had. And he's the same Jesus you have and I have. And God wants us to be that light in your corner of this dark world. And there is no telling what God's going to do through your light if you'll let it shine. Simple obedience. Let it shine. All the glory and all the power is in God.